from your word. And so let us turn to the book of James, chapter 1, shall we? James 1, verses 16 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. I bless the hearing and reading of his word. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, give us understanding and give us, Lord, fervency and grant us, Lord, love and compassion toward you. And may that reflect also in our relationships to one another and to all men as much as life in us. In Christ's name, amen. Now, we're actually on the theme of Thanksgiving as Thanksgiving Day is approaching us and I'd like to just share a little bit of the history of Thanksgiving from a very reliable account by S.M. Houghton, Sketches from Church History, so that we might have a background in terms of our own American context that is important, I believe, to fall back on, to recall, to refresh ourselves by as we consider the one with whom we have to do and the one who has made all things and has made us. And so a brief history of Thanksgiving Day. Poverty, religious oppression, the threat of war with Spain, the desire to advance the gospel and allegiance to the British crown were some of the reasons why the Puritans resolved to exercise liberty of conscience in matters religious. <clears throat> the voyage of approximately 140 pilgrims on board the Mayflower in December of 1620 ended in Plymouth after a four-month journey from Southampton, England. Confronted with severe weather conditions, an epidemic of scurvy and pneumonia that killed 46 of their members, the survivors had much to be thankful for. The colony had survived the hardships, particularly because of the help of an English-speaking Pawtuxet Indian named Squanto, who spent most of his life helping them build houses and cultivating crops of corn and barley and communicating with the native Indians of the land. The pilgrims elected William Bradford as governor and proclaimed a day of thanksgiving 
in their new small town. This Thanksgiving Day was barred from the laws or canons of the Church of England. Governor Bradford sent four men afouling, quote-unquote, and the men came back with lobsters, clams, bass, vegetables and fruits, etc. The pilgrims invited the chief of the Wampunog tribe, Masawit, and 90 of his braves to the feast. Four women and two teenage girls prepared a feast for 91 Indians and 56 settlers. The next Thanksgiving was in 1623, and then eight years later in 1631. In this 17th century England, this celebration was second only to Easter. In February 1644, in New Amsterdam, Governor Kieft, Kieft proclaimed a public thanksgiving. There are nine recorded instances of pre-revolutionary colonies declaring Thanksgiving holidays. The Continental Congress designated eight days of Thanksgiving during the Revolutionary War. George Washington set aside Thursday, November 26, 1789 as a day of thanks. Jefferson refused to follow his example, shame on him. However, Lincoln revived the custom of Thanksgiving during the Civil War in 1863. It has been celebrated every year since that date. This then is the, well as of this writing, the 132nd anniversary of Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation. I do believe it's important for us to take this time to recall our roots, as it were, and especially our spiritual roots, as I've noted even last Friday. Because of the one whom I call in this message the perfect giver, we all benefit from the gifts of others. We all uh, relish the opportunity, not only to receive, but to give gifts. In fact, it is uh, a blessing to give. It is an unspeakable gift, to use the words of Scripture, when one receives the giving of others in times of special need, such as the church in Jerusalem and in Judea, that was suffering from persecution and poverty. When the gospel went to Macedonia, the churches there in northern Greece contributed heartily to the needs of their brethren who are in the mother church. And of course, we're in the book of Philippians, which is a city that is located in Macedonia, the first city that was converted to the gospel. In Macedonia. Now the central theme of the book of James can be identified as true religion and it's based upon a verse in James 1 27 pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widow in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. 
And it is also identified by devoted service to others as proof of one's faith. To use James' words in another place in 2.18, Yea, a man may say, thou hast, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And so that is very important to keep in mind. And that is to be doers, and especially in this altruistic way that serves the needs of others. Because after all, that is what our Lord did in coming into this world. His mission was to serve others. And as we know, he became even the slave, not only to his father, but to others, dying the death of the cross and giving up one most precious gift of all, his very life. How we fall short of the glory of God. We must take responsibility for ourselves and for our sins against God. This is what James addresses. God is not the author of sin, nor does he tempt us to sin, according to verses 13 through 15 of our passage, which I'll read. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God or by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So let us not be led astray on this point, according to verse 16, which I read earlier. To help us out, James cites two things about God that will help us to not go astray. And the first, God gives good gifts, and God gives perfect gifts. It says in verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The verb there in the Greek is an act or manner of giving. Every good gift and every perfect gift. Every good gift, like the days of the creation, when God in the first day said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. Why was it good? First and foremost, because he made it. And secondly, because he said, it is good. And that makes it good enough, as it were. All things come from God. Notice, every good gift and every perfect gift, that covers all the bases. Because his gifts are good. And also, they are perfect, as we will learn. The sun, the moon, and the stars that reflect that life that he made in the beginning. The dry land that he made called the earth. The sky that he called the heaven. The water above the firmament or the expanse or sky. And then the water below that covered the face of the whole earth at one point. And then the dry land that appeared when the Lord called it forth. 
and the living creatures that occupy each of these spheres, the sea, the sea creatures, the air, the air creatures called the fowls, and the land creatures, cattle, creeping things, and beasts of the field. And then finally man, made in the image of God. According to Genesis 1, 27 and 28, to have dominion over the whole earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Notice that, male and female created he them. There are only two genders, not a multiplicity of them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. This is what God said for man to be and to do. In Acts 17, there's a further delineation of the creation uh, since the creation, since the time of the creation. And so if you would turn to Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 26. Let me begin at verse 23. <laughs> this, this is a, an amazing account of, of how to give the gospel. And uh, so uh, the, the, the apostle Paul uses, amongst all these deities that are represented in the marketplace in the Areopagus, uh, he uses one of the stalls where there is one deity to, to kind of cover the bases to make sure that they don't miss any of, 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 the, of the deities of Rome and, uh, and so, I'm sorry, of Greece, sorry about that, of Athens, Greece. And so there was one devotion there to an unknown God. There was one, whatever type of figure that was, an altar with the inscription below it to the unknown God. And so Paul Utilize that. And that's what you do. You begin where they're at and you work from there. And so he begins with that, that altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And he says, Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. I'm going to tell you about the unknown God. Unknown to you, most certainly, but not unknown to me, because he has revealed himself, saving me in my life. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed, needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Now this one is it. He is the ultimate. He is the absolute God. And there are no others even in your imaginations that even compare. They all pale. 
There's no, no comparison. He's the creator. That's what he said. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the, the Lord, if haply they may feel, might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. End of discussion. He has made of one blood, biologically, all nations, all nationalities, kindreds, tribes, and tongues that are represented on the face of this earth, who are all, by the way, from the same first parents, Adam and Eve, of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth geographically, and have determined the times historically, our times are in his hands, as is said in the scriptures and even in one of our hymns before appointed in the bounds of their habitation, demographically, as in terms of where we are situated, where we live, where God put us, essentially. And God takes care of us. And it's called providence. Providere in the Latin, which actually has the meaning of looking ahead and seeing in advance, and not only seeing and knowing what's in advance, but actually planning everything according to the determinate counsel of his own will. It says in Acts 14, 17, if you turn back to it earlier, 14, 20, sorry, 14, 17. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Good even when we don't do good to him and do good to one another. Even to the people who are unbelievers and who are rebels, who are not yet tamed by the gospel of the grace of God, he does good, causing his rain and sun to come upon not just his children, but upon all mankind. And what for? Back to Acts 17, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord. He wants all of mankind to seek the Lord. That's his desire. That's his revealed will. Not as to a secret will, as to what actually comes to pass. That's another story. Because we know that it is according to the praise of his glorious grace that any of us are seeking the Lord at all. That I'm here speaking to you and testifying to you of my God-given faith in the God of the Bible. But nevertheless, that is what we are to do. And, and even those that are not doing it, even those that reject the gospel, that reject Jesus Christ. Because we are all tied into God. Whether we like it or not, if I can put it that way, those people that are taking God's name in vain, their very DNA cries volumes of the image of God in them. As we heard read earlier, for in him, in him, we, everyone, in terms of the total population of this entire planet, live, physically live, and move our mobility 
comes from him and have our being, our physical existence. And so, here we are. And thankfully, we who are the Lord's, like David, acknowledge how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I add to that, and fearfully and wonderfully kept day by day. And as David goes further on to say in that Psalm 139, and that my soul knoweth right well. I'm so thankful. I know this. I'm so thankful that especially now as I, I, I near the end of my life, the end of the road, I know this. And that I learned this early on in life, early enough, though I was already a young adult, that I could be used to make a difference in my own life in terms of my sins of youth and being able to forsake them and my sins as an adult and being able to see the Lord's hand in curbing them and, and keeping me on that straight and narrow path that he wants us all to walk. And so, does your soul knoweth right well how we are fearfully and wonderfully made and kept even by the power of God and the salvation ready to be revealed in that last day. Now, not only every good gift, but every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, and whom is no variableness, neither shall eternity. Yes, every perfect gift. And what's the most perfect gift of all? Well, it's pointed out for us in James 1, verse 18. So if you turn back to James, our text, verse 18 reads, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The word begat is a very telling word, and that speaks of our being born again, our being born from above, our being born of the Holy Spirit, who uses the word of God, described here as the word of truth, because it is only the truth that will make us free. Only the truth that will be used by the spirit of truth to open our eyes that we may behold Jesus Christ in all of his fullness in the scriptures and receive him and open our hearts to receive him as well. He's the one who brought us forth into this life of faith. He is the one that gave birth to us is really the literal meaning behind begat. It's called the second birth for good reason because it's the birth after our initial entrance into this life. You've heard the term or the saying, born once, die twice, but born twice, die once. Do you know what that means? That means if you're only born once, meaning into this life, but not born again, you will die twice because there's not only the physical death, of our existence from this life, but there is eternal hell to follow, called the second death. But if you're born twice, born into this life and from above, you only die once. Yes, if you die at all, the Lord may come back and then we'll be translated immediately 
like the twinkling of an eye at the last trump into his presence and will not die. And there are a few exceptions that went that path in the past. But that is what is only true, that is, to only die once for those who have been born twice. Jesus said, you must be born again. Not by water only, as it were, physically, but by the Spirit of God. Otherwise, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23, further on, 1 Peter 1, verse 23, who by him, I'm sorry, again here. Uh, yes. 1 Peter 1, 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Earthly fathers give us good things from this earth. But how much more does our Heavenly Father, who actually gives us everything, but especially His Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit is His gift to us. And it is the Holy Spirit that quickens, that is, who makes alive. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, said the Lord Jesus Christ. And so every perfect gift speaks of a complete gift, something that, that completes the picture of our lives. Like when the Jews would be converted to the true faith of Abraham, who was, by the way, called the father of all believers, both Jew and Gentile. It is said of them that their faith, their, their being Israelites is completed. But now they are the true Israel of God, either having faith in Messiah, Christ, the Son of the living God. In John 10, 10 and 11, John 10, 10 and 11, our Lord Jesus Christ put it this way. He said, the thief, and that thief could be these doctrinal and theological rascals that twist the scriptures and that pervert the gospel and that, that dupe multitudes away from the truth. Or what I tend to believe is what the Lord uh, was meaning by that, the evil one, one who's uh, to steal our souls. As he, goes on to, as he goes on to say, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But then he goes on to say, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. This is why he made us originally, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. To use the words of one of our precious confessions, the Westminster Confession of Faith or, and Catechisms. 
But according to verse 11, what is the basis for his giving us this life? By his giving up his life in our place. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Is this your experience? I trust it is. And then next, not only does God give good and perfect gifts, but God is the perfect giver. Called in our text again in James chapter 1. Going back to it now. Verse 17. The Father of lights, the Father of lights with whom is no variableness or variation, neither shadow caused by turning such as when the heavenly orbs, uh, well, move, move like in circles. I don't want to get into this discussion at length. I'm not an expert in astronomy. But you know the basics, right, of, of astronomy as far as what we've learned in school. All that God gives us is good. Why? Because he is good, as I established at the beginning. The father or the originator he is, of lights, of those bodies, of those heavenly orbs. He created the sun and the moon and the stars, as we heard earlier as well. And like them, God is dependable and more, for he made them all. He's the father of these luminaries, nature's luminaries, as we would also call them, that vary in magnitude and size in terms of Numbers, in terms of uh, clusters that are, uh, when you look into the sky, almost like one light, but in fact they represent bodies that are scattered throughout a large expanse of outer space. Light years, even, such as our Milky Way galaxy. He created them all. But unlike those lights, the true original light, who is himself, as he describes himself in different places in the Bible, doesn't change. That's the difference. That's the difference. In God, there are no changes of brightness or clarity. Even the sun and the stars eventually change and burn out. But not God, in whom is not variableness or variation. Variation, because he says, I am God, and I change not. And therefore, you sons of Jacob, meaning you believers, are not consumed. Because I am faithful, even when you're not. Because I saved you. I am the one who is your God and your Father. Neither shadow caused by turning. There is no shadow in God. There is no shadow in God. There is no fluctuation in his character. It says in 1 John chapter 1, God is light and in him is no darkness at all, shadows included. It says of him in 1 Timothy 6.16, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen, neither can see to whom be glory and power everlasting. Amen. God gave the perfect gift of his son, Jesus Christ, to be our Lord and Savior. 
He is the perfect Savior. There is no need for any other saviors, any other prophets or priests or kings that would in any way substitute for him or any addendum to him of saviors to help him out. And so those religions that have saints, that are some individuals that have been made saints by the church, are false saints. If, and if the people are putting their trust in them, they are deceived. Because the saints are the people of God who have been called from darkness into light. From the power of Satan unto God. To receive the inheritance which is by faith in Jesus Christ. Namely, you and I who are in Christ. Christ is trustworthy. He declares for those who would be his disciples that they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. He says you cannot serve two masters because you will hate the one and love the other and despise the one and turn from the other. And so abandon yourself to Jesus Christ, the perfect Savior who serves a perfect God and Father. Be what he wants you to be. Do what he wants you to do. And in so doing, cast away those shadows of turning in your life that turn you from the light, that turn you from being that bright and shining candle that is used to describe John the baptizer, for example. And that is used to actually describe all of God's people. We're a light compared to the sun, which is God. Be that for the Lord. Become a child of light. Our light flickers. It gets bright and then it gets dim. God sends trials, which are good gifts, by the way, especially in light of what James has to say about that. And that is when these trials come, they help to get us back on track. They help to see us for, for who we are and for what we are. And in opening our eyes, cause us to bemoan our condition and our need all the more daily for Christ, for without Him we can do nothing. Knowing that the trials which seem to be opposed to our, our good are, are the very opposite. And that all things, God says, all things work together for good to them who love God or the call according to his purpose. What God gives will lead you to your being perfect one day in Christ. Good gifts are designed to make you to be complete in Christ in that last and final day. God has thought through just how and when and what manner he will give along the way. And he promises in Philippians 4.19, For my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And he did not spare any expense either. He did not cut any corners either. Or if he did not spare his only begotten son, he has assured us that with him he shall give us all things. Did you hear that? All things. What he chooses to give his children is as certain, as good, and as dependable as the very life of his son that he gave up in order to give us eternal life. And it is a free gift. Indeed, all of our blessings Blessings of every kind, material, physical, and most of all spiritual, are included 
in that greatest gift of all, and that is eternal life. And we become the first fruits of his creatures. The first fruits are the first crop. And often that's, and, and that is that which is dedicated to God in the harvest. But it represents God's blessing. When, that, when those young ears uh, come out of corn, I'm talking about. I love corn, especially during the holidays. <laughs> you can't give me enough corn. Uh, anyway, uh, and they become full ears of corn. Oh, my. Have you ever gone to the store and, I mean, uh, you know, gotten the corn with the, with the sheaves over them, you know, and you have to pull them open and, oh, wow. <laughs> I'm going to buy 20 of these, you know. <laughs> This is what we are to be, the first fruits of the Lord's harvest. We are to be his peculiar treasure. Peculiar doesn't mean odd, by the way. It means special. But peculiar, yes, can also mean odd. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. If you're a child of God, you're the most beautiful baby to the Lord. No matter how odd you may be to everyone else. That's our Lord. And this shows how the whole harvest belongs to him. All crown rights to the field, to the crop, are belonging to him. As John said, and I'm going to close with this, in John 1, 5 through 7, getting back to the Lord as the light. First John one, five through seven. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare we unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How giving God is. How patient, long-suffering he is toward us and forgiving of all of our sins. Even the future sins. I think about that and how, how iffy, knowing that you're going to sin up ahead, and especially as you, you, you've been on, on the path for uh, an X amount of time, and then, and then you, you blow it at the end. You know, you do a, a, a Hezekiah thing, you know, and, uh, and you end up uh, being threatened with your life by the Lord. And by the way, he was spared and given another 15 years after he thought he was a dead man. And that was a test. But future sins, I tell you, just the thought of my doing this against my God, that I'm going to do this against my God, to me is, is almost unbelievable. And yet, I have to acknowledge that I am what I am. And thankfully, by the grace of God. Because that grace, especially that maintaining grace, is everything. And if God was not 
as he is. I don't know what we would do. We, we'd be out of his church, lickety split. I don't think I would be here this long. I don't think I'd be standing here preaching to you at this time in my life. I know it's all grace. As Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. So in application, I have something important. First, know this. And that God is not the author of sin or, or the one who is the tempter of our souls to sin. He tests us, yes, but really so that we might not sin. But rather, He is the giver of the perfect gift of salvation, which goes right along with that premise. And so be thankful to God that He's this way. Be thankful that He is not just a good Father, but the perfect Father. And He will never turn you out into the cold. There's nothing that you could do. You can be the most prodigal son of all. And yet He will be there waiting for you to return. And finally, let your life be a picture of God's liberality. Because does it not say in the Bible that He causes his sun to shine upon the evil and the good, and his rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. And so we are to love our enemies. Our enemies, who are God's enemies. Even as we were one time his enemies, but were made the friends of God by grace. Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And the most perfect gift that he gives of all is his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, thank you for being not just the perfect giver, not just the perfect God, but the perfect Father. And not just the perfect Father of the celestial planets and suns and stars, but our Father, our Father, our Heavenly Father, we praise you. We give you thanks at this Thanksgiving season for all that we have been given. I thank you personally how you brought me to this country to come to know Jesus Christ. That is your primary purpose and bring me here to America. And Lord, I thank you. And I pray that everyone here who is yours, your blood-bought child, everyone would also rejoice and give thanks for Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let us now sing our closing hymn.